sure. But I do want to share something that is a very wonderful verse of Scripture. It's found in Hebrews 11 and verse 22. Hebrews 11, verse 22. And in, in this verse, it speaks of a man by the name of Joseph. Now, we know there's a Joseph that it's connected with the Christmas story. He was, he was the father, the, 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 not the, the, the legal father, uh, but not the actual father, of course, of Jesus our Lord. But this is another Joseph. This, uh, this Joseph lived about 3,700 years ago or so, a long time ago. But he's connected with us because he's someone that has the same faith that we had. He had faith in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's an incredible man. And so today I want to title this, this teaching, Joseph Trusting in the Goodness of God. Trusting in the Goodness of of God. God is good. And I want you to know today, you can trust in the goodness of God. Now here's a verse that says, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying. So this, is, this man is just kind of standing between life and death. He's, he's, he's lived his life and now he's about to step out into eternity and it tells us, it gives us commentary about what he's doing. And here's what it says. He made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. And we just ask the Lord to bring, to add his blessing to the words that we'll speak today. Now, this, this little verse here, this one verse of Scripture here, is really a bookend. It's, it's the, the end, the bookend to really an extraordinary life. A life that began well, a life that was lived well, and a life that ended well. You know, it's not so important how you start as how you finish. Many start... But we need to finish well. Joseph is a man who finished well. In, in fact, he, it's, it's a really incredible life. Um, this text shows us something about Joseph's faith. Hebrews 11 is, and I, I, I was planning on giving, kind of taking some time because we've been away from Hebrews 11 for a while. But I was going to give a little bit of context and bring you back to the purpose of the book. I don't have time to do that. But what the writer of Hebrews is doing is, is telling us and, and giving us illustrations of people and saying, look at these people. These people lived in a way that pleased God. Live like they lived. Let their life encourage you. And certainly Joseph, 3,700 years later, is someone who still speaks powerfully to each of our lives. He's a man who pleased God. Joseph stands as one of the most outstanding characters in the entirety of the Word of God. In fact, in his life, there are, there are at least 40 points where he is a type of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Mr. Arthur Pink talks about in his wonderful little commentary. Now, Joseph said something that was really incredible. And I want to read that to you in Genesis 50 and verse 20. This is what Joseph said. To his brothers. And I'll fill in the blanks as we go. Joseph said to his brothers. As for you. You meant it evil against me. 
But God meant it for good. God meant it for good. In order to bring about, as it is today, to save many people alive. Now look at me. You realize that what God is doing in our lives and through our church, every trial, every struggle, every twist, every turn, every delay, is for our good that many people may be saved. What we're doing today in our church and our vision and our sacrifices and our, our giving. You know, we as Americans, let's be honest, we, we waste a lot of money. We buy so many gadgets. We buy things we don't need. And that money is wasted. I can tell you that money's gone. It's wasted. Now there's necessities. I got that. And the Lord does want to enjoy, us to enjoy the good things and the blessings he's giving us. But the Lord doesn't want us to be wasteful. And I want to just tell you, with, I tell you with integrity, every dime that you've ever spent in this church, every dime that you spend on this building will never, never, never be lost. It will be in heaven when you get there. You are, when you give to God's work, you're, you, are, you are doing something that is eternal, eternally significant, and it will never, ever be lost, ever. And Joseph said, the things that have happened in, throughout my life, the sufferings that I've been through, I realize today they were to save, and they, God meant it for good. Though it was painful, I mean, oh, there's things that are really painful in our lives, but God meant it for good. It's interesting the perspective Joseph has here. Joseph, all the things that he went through, he never had a perspective of a victim. He never had a victim mentality, of which many in our culture, in our American culture, have today. We like, we glory in victimization. We love it. We proclaim it. We talk about it. And we see it, we see it proclaimed on television. People even, people, listen to this, people even make up stories so that they can be perceived as a victim. Isn't it amazing? All that Joseph went through in his life, all the difficulty, all the suffering, and yet here he is saying, God meant it for good. Joseph realized what we need to realize, that our lives are not just blown about by the devil's schemes, but our lives, if we're, if we're truly trusting in Jesus Christ and we've truly been born again, that our lives are being guided by the Almighty God. Nothing happens by chance, but everything by divine providence of God. Isn't that comforting? Yes. Joseph's story is found in the complete story, which we certainly couldn't get all in today. We're going to hit the high, high spots for a few moments. It's found in Genesis 37 through 50. Incredible reading. I mean, Genesis has 50 chapters, and from the 37th to the 50th, centers in Joseph. So it's a very important story of faith that God wants us to, to realize and, and understand. What's Joseph's story? Let me give you the high points. We know that Joseph was born in the land of Canaan. Uh, we know that he's the second, second to the last son of the patriarch Jacob. He was, in other words, he was the 11th of 12 brothers, His, the youngest one, of course, being Benjamin. Joseph's mother's name was Rachel, and Rachel died when she was giving birth to Joseph's brother, Benjamin. And I, I'm sure that his mother's, Rachel's mother's death probably left a huge hole in this young man's heart. Joseph still being very, very young. And I, I kind of have an indication that he was very close to his mother. And I think that this probably, the, the, the loss of his mother and the loneliness probably drove him to God. 
Because something began to happen to Joseph in his teen years. God began to supernaturally communicate with this young man. And when he was 17 years old, he began to have dreams. Now, we're not talking about dreams, crazy dreams that we just come up with because we ate too much pizza. We're talking about divine dreams. We're talking about dreams that have to do with, with the nation of Israel and how God would use this young man to save the nation of Israel. And God began to give him those dreams. And, and then as, as time goes by, because of these dreams, he shared it with his father and his brothers, and his own family hated him. His brothers hated him. They were envious. They, were, they, were, they mistreated him until one day they took him and they sold him down into Egypt. They sold their own brother to Ishmaelite traders and took him all the way down to Egypt. And I can't even imagine how this hurt him. But, you know, sometimes those that are closest to us can hurt us the most, can't they? That's the way it is. Not that it's right, but sometimes those that are closest to us can wound us the most. And so Joseph was sold as a slave into Egypt. And for well, well over a decade, he was a slave in Egypt. And my recollection as I read scripture, I realized that he only came back to his homeland one time, and that was to bury his father. He never came back again. It's amazing how life can take twists and turns. Now, I can't imagine the emotional trauma. There's something, you know, I know that some people are stronger than other people. Some people are mentally tougher than other people. I get that. We're all a little bit different. But, I, but no one deals with rejection well. No one. No one deals with rejection well. I can't imagine this level of rejection. And I can't imagine the emotional trauma that this created in this young man's life. The psalmist gives a little indication. The psalmist says this, He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Notice, they hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that the word came to pass and the word of the Lord tested him. Here's Joseph, a young man. God is working divinely and supernaturally in his life. And yet the way that God's going to bring forth the plan is going to have his own brothers sell him. They're going to put shackles upon him. They're going to put him in prison. He's going to be a slave for well, well over a decade and going to suffer tremendously. As he goes down to Egypt, he gets sold into the captain of the guard. I mean, that's a, bad, that's a toughest guy in Egypt. How would you like to have him as your boss? Potiphar. And he becomes a slave to Potiphar. And then something happens. Potiphar's wife lays her eyes on Joseph and begins to try to convince him to have an immoral relationship with him. But as you read Joseph's story, and I encourage you to read it in its entirety, as you read Joseph's story, you realize what a high level of integrity he has you realize what a godly, holy man he is. And this woman, this wife of Potiphar, tries to get him to commit immorality. And he resisted, and he resisted, and he resisted. And finally, he tells her why. He says this, how can I do this evil against God? 
Here's a man who walked in the awareness of God. Here's a man who wasn't a people pleaser. He's a man who was a God pleaser. And because he would not yield to her temptations. And I can tell you this. There's very few young men like that in the world today. I can tell you. There's very few men like that in the world today that have that kind of integrity. And because she re he refused her, she falsely accused him of trying to rape her. And Potiphar, the captain of the guard, takes Joseph and puts him in prison. Falsely accused. Now, I, I can tell you this. A person with a high level of integrity that gets falsely accused, it wounds them greatly. Do you know that? When you know that you've lived in the integrity of your heart and someone lies about you, it hurts that person on a level that is so deep that it's hard to explain. Do you realize there's people that have been falsely accused that committed suicide? It was so painful because they knew they weren't guilty. And Joseph's like that man, that kind of man. And he's placed in prison for something he did right. He's placed in prison for righteousness. Can I tell you this? Righteousness will cost you. Righteousness, people that are righteous will pay a price. We're living in a culture and an atmosphere in our America today that when you stand for the word of God, I can tell you sometimes you may lose a job when you say, There's, I won't do that because God, that is against the word of God. That's against what I believe that God would have for my life. You may lose your job for doing what's right. Joseph was placed in prison for what he did right. He lived a holy and a godly life of integrity. Joseph is the man who experienced the injustice of the rich and the powerful taking advantage of the poor and the helpless. That happens in our world. Powerful, rich people do many unjust things and they can do it because they have power. And that's a, that's, that's a sin against God and they will give an account for that. And so for many years, Joseph is in prison. Many years sold as a slave and an incredible thing happens. In one day, one day, in one day, he goes from a prisoner to the second most powerful man on the face of the earth in that day. Now, I don't know about you. That's one of the most incredible things I've ever heard in my life. To think that a man who is a prisoner, who is a slave, who's been falsely accused, who's been maligned and persecuted for well over a decade, and in one day, he goes from a prisoner shackled in a prison to prime minister of the most powerful monarch, monarchy on the face of the earth in that day. In fact, the Pharaoh told him that no one no one in Egypt, you can, it's in your Bible, no one in Egypt will do anything except by your word. He was the most powerful voice on the face of the earth, and it happened in one day. Isn't it amazing how things can float along and float along and float along, and then all of a sudden, God, with speed, can change the circumstance. And you know what Joseph did? Joseph trusted in the goodness of of God. Now, in Joseph's story, there are some very evident doctrinal themes. And I think this will be all I'll be able to get to this morning. But they're very powerful doctrinal themes that we find in Joseph's story. There's several of them. One is we see the, the lesson of election. 
The election is simply this, God choosing to do certain things simply because he chooses to do them. Now, what we know is that the mystery of divine election is at work in Joseph's life. Why did the Lord choose Joseph? Why didn't God choose Asher? Why didn't God choose Reuben? Why didn't God choose Levi? Why didn't God choose Benjamin? And you don't know. God has a certain plan and a certain will that he doesn't share with man. The secret things belong to the Lord. But we see that God chose Joseph in his electing grace. He chose Joseph to save the Jewish people of whom would come Messiah, Jesus Christ. God in his wisdom chooses people and groups of people to advance his purpose in the world and to represent him. Jeremiah was such a man. Jeremiah, he said, before you were in the womb, God said, I chose you. I, I knew you. Before you, before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you to be a prophet. God says to Jeremiah, I chose you before you were even born. That's my choice. Uh, of King David and Solomon, David said, however, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel. And he has chosen Judah to be a ruler. And the house of Judah and the, and the house of my father among uh, the sons of my father. And then he goes on and says in verse 5, And of all of my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon. Why did God choose David? Why did God choose? Because that's his choice. What about the apostles? Jesus said this, And when, that, when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And it says, For for from them he chose 12. Why didn't he choose 18? Why didn't he choose, four? you know, God chose 12 men. Why did he choose Peter? Why did he choose Judas? Because that's his, that's divine election. That is his choice. What about Paul? The Lord said through Ananias, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. We see in Joseph's story like these stories, God's divine choice to use Joseph to make a difference in the, in the story of redemption. Here's another theme we see in Joseph's story, and that's the theme of providence. Providence is the Lord taking care, caring for his children. You know the Lord cares for us? There's a scripture in the New Testament that says, Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. God, God watches over us to meet our needs. He watches over us to bring us into his blessing. See, in every season of our life, God is watching out and providing for them. And you know that God is watching over and providing for us. See, the story of Joseph bridges the gap between between, you know, how did, these how did these Jewish people of whom Messiah would come, how did they get to Egypt? The 37 through 50 bridges the gap and tells us how they got there. And then in our text, Hebrews eleven twenty two, he made mention of what? The Exodus. He knows they're coming out. He knows they're not going to be there forever. See, God was looking ahead to prepare a way for his people. Providence. Providence. You say, Pastor, how are we going to do this and get all that? Because we trust in God's providence. 
Remember that what I read to you? But you meant it for evil, he said. But God meant it for good, verse, chapter 50, verse 20, in order to bring it, in order to bring it about. God did all these things to bring about certain things. Now, we may not understand always what God is doing in our lives. We might understand why we have to go to certain kind of prisons and certain kind of relationships fail, like Joseph and his brothers, or why things take so long. But I can guarantee you this, according to the God that we serve in his scripture, he is watching out. He is guiding us into his goodness. He's, he, was guiding, he wasn't going to leave Joseph in prison. He wasn't, he wasn't just punishing Joseph. He was working out his plan. And even in those difficult moments, he's, his providence is providing for Joseph. I can tell you this, God has a wonderful plan and we can trust his goodness. We can trust his goodness. And we see another theme and that's the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty is God is in control. Sovereignty means God controls things. There is no place in the universe that God's power cannot reach. There's no, there's no place that God's sovereign hand cannot reach and influence and change and do what he wants to do. Do we not believe in Romans 8, 28? For God works all things together for the good of those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. I like the NASB in that. You know, most translations says we know that all things work together for good, but that leaves it a little bit ambiguous. The NASB says God works all things Let's make it clear. It's not a case of Rasarah, everything will be, will be. Things are going to work out in the end. No, I have a God that is provident and compassionate. I have a God that cares and that's faithful. I have a God that is sovereign and powerful, and he does all things well, and there's nothing too hard for him. And, and in his provident hand, and in his sovereign hand, what he's doing is he, he's, he's controlling, and he's going to cause all the pieces of the puzzle to fit together. See, God gave, God, uh, gave, gave some promise, promises. Psalm 103, 19 declares, The Lord has established his throne into heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 47, 2, The Lord Most High is awesome, and he is the, a great king over all of the earth. What a mighty God we serve. Amen? Come on, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. And then we see the theme of in Joseph's story that God, God keeps his promises. Throughout all of Joseph's journey, he could place his absolute trust in what God has shown him. We might not know how, and we might not know when he will fulfill his promises, but we can trust that if he is given a promise, he will fulfill. His promise. Hebrews says it this way. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now, I want to conclude this, this thoughts on, on Joseph with, with just two things here. Two, I, want to, I want to point out two notable qualities in Joseph's life. Because when we talk about God's sovereign election... There's, there's two parts to this. There's two parts to this. Okay, God says that God works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. That's God's part. That's the election part. That's God's will. That's God's 
grace and power that he provides. But then the next verse says, Now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now the Lord has indicated very clearly what the, what the vision of this church is to be over the next 18 months. And that is that he has told us to put a building up here. That's his will. That's his plan. But now we have to do our part in sacrificing and praying and supporting. Now, Joseph, God chose him, but there's certain qualities in his life that I think that God, uh, that, that are a key to his blessing and fruitfulness. So I want to look at those very quickly. What, what made him successful? I just want to give you two of these. One of, the, one of the notable things is that Joseph had fellowship with God. He, he walked very close to God. Joseph was a man who walked close to God. Now, now think about this. Joseph had these dreams. Now, th- to me, this indicates that here's a young man that has a heart open to God. He is a heart re- receptive to God. God is dealing with him. God is speaking to him. But I'm not so sure that through his mother's death and all of this, he's really seeking after God. But as a young man, he began to experience God in a powerful way. He's, he's walking with God. He has a heart for God. And I would say to all of us in here, especially to our young people, that youth is a time we can experience God. Remember the Creator in the days of your youth. Joseph seems to have this unbroken fellowship with God. Now, now think about this. The circumstances through the story of Genesis 37 through 50, the, the circumstances change. They change. He, he's in his father's house. He's sold is a slave. He's in Potiphar's house. He's in prison. He's, he's in the palace now. But there's a constant. Joseph never stopped walking with God. Now, I've seen many people in my life that have fallen away from God or fallen out of church. And you say, well, man, where you been? Man, I've been going through a tough time, they say. And, I, you know, in my mind, I'm going, well, that's a really great time to quit church when you're going through a tough time. But if you look at this this consistency of fellowship with God, this consistency of walking with God in his life, it, 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 was, it was throughout his whole life. It's what characterized him. And no matter how difficult it became, Joseph never stopped walking with God. In fact, you, get, you pick up these themes in Genesis. It said this happened. He was sold to Potiphar's house. And then it says this in 39.2. It says, and the Lord was with Joseph. He never became bitter at God. He never became, you know, accusatory toward God. He never, but he just kept walking with God and doing what? Trusting in God's wonderful goodness. I think Joseph was a man of prayer. And I think he was a man of holiness. And I think he was a man of obedience. Because without those three things, you don't walk close to God. Without being a man, a person of prayer without being a person of holiness and godliness, and without being a person of obedience, no one walks close to God, no matter what they say. I think Joseph, one of the notable characters of his life, is he walked very close to God. I'll close with this last one, and that is this. Joseph is a man who had favor with God and favor with men. You'll notice that everywhere Joseph went, he had this unusual favor Everywhere he went. When Joseph was in his father's house, he had the special love of his father's. Now, I'm going to tell you, his brothers were rotten. They were mean. 
They were hateful. They were ungodly. I mean, at one time, they murdered a bunch of people. Remember that? In Shechem, I think it was. These were bad boys. These are not just guys that are, have a little differences. These are wicked men. But Joseph was very different. And I think Jacob could see what a godly, holy young man this was. And he loved him. He loved him. Now, there was some favoritism in the home, which is wrong. But listen to this. Listen to this. With God, we can all be his favorites. God shows no favoritism toward anybody. If we will love him, he will love us. If we'll draw near to him, he will draw near to us. We're all God's favorites if, we'll, if we want to be. And so he had this favor. Joseph goes to Potiphar's house. And in Potiphar's house, he gets this favor from him. To where that Potiphar, he's, he, he, he's so skillful and so faithful, Potiphar doesn't even look after his work. He knows it's going to be done right. And he has this favor. He gets put in prison. And he's so, Joseph is so skilled and so excellent as a human being that everything in the prison comes under Joseph's leadership. And I'm sure the prison guy, the guard, or whoever he was, he was just sitting there eating donuts like all cops do, right? <laughs> and, he was, he, and, and his boss was saying, this is the easiest job I've ever had. Why? Joseph did it all. He's incredibly skilled at leadership. And then all of a sudden, I close with this. He's in prison. He's been in prison for a long time, falsely accused. And then two gentlemen show up in the prison, the butler and the baker. Uh, the cupbearer and the baker. And they had dreams. And Joseph looks at them the next morning and he says to them, what's wrong with you guys? You guys look troubled. And they said, we've had dreams. Now think about this. We've had dreams and we don't know what they mean. And here's Joseph walking with God in a prison. Now I got, I've known folks that couldn't hardly walk with God going to church every Sunday. From Sunday to Sunday, they couldn't even, they couldn't even live for God a week. Here's a man that walks so close to God and loves God so much. He's in a prison. Not only is he walking with God, he loves other people. He's ministering to them. Incredible man. And then he says to these men, don't you know that God is the one who gives dreams? You give me the dreams and I'll pray about it and God will tell me. And then he tells them the dream. One of you will have your head taken off and the other will be elevated back to his service. And then he says this. I mean, not only is he telling dreams, he's prophesying to them. He's telling the future. And here's what he says. He says to them, remember me. I'm, I'm here unjustly. Remember me. Please remember me when, when all of this happens. And guess what? He's forgotten again. A couple years passes. And one day Pharaoh has a dream, two dreams. And when the, when the cupbearer remembers, he says, hey, uh, Pharaoh, I remember my faults today. I met a guy in the jailhouse, not the church house. I met a guy in the jailhouse. He can interpret dreams. He had, we had dreams. He interpreted them and they came to pass. They went to the prison house and got him. Cleaned him up, and in one day brought him before Pharaoh. And the story is, he told Pharaoh the interpretation of the dreams. 
Now here's the favor of God. He said, Joseph said, sir, you need to find someone skilled. You need to find someone you can place over this gathering of grain so that Egypt will be saved during the seven years of famine. You need to find someone. What did Pharaoh say? Can we find a man anywhere in Egypt that has the spirit of God in him like this man? You're going to be the man. And went from a prisoner to the second most powerful man on the face of the earth. Favor. I want you to stand with me. And I'm going to close this way because I believe that the word has done its work in us. Maybe, maybe you, uh, maybe uh, somebody go. Maybe you're, maybe you've been following the Lord and you're going through storms, trials, and difficulties. Be patient and and trust the goodness of God. Watch Him work. Amen. I want to pray for God's divine favor on our congregation. We need His favor because it's not just us involved in this. We're going to deal with city leaders. We're going to deal with engineering in the city. We're going to deal with a lot of moving parts. We need God's divine favor. Uh, I love our city. I love our, our, you know, our mayor. Uh, he's a personal friend of mine. Uh, and, and I know most of the city council. But you know as well as I do, Mesquite is difficult to work with. I can tell you, there are people, there are builders that, do, that will not do work in Mesquite. And, and you know, I, I'm, I want divine favor. You know, there's a lot of streams that need to come together. We want to pray. Uh, we want to close and pray over our, this gentleman that's going to be working with us as a liaison with our builder. And, and we're going to, you know, our target date is March 20th, early spring. And we need favor. We need favor in, in the relationship that I have with this gentleman and our board has with this gentleman. Uh, we need favor with our city. We need this to come together. And I believe that our God, just like he gave Joseph favor, he can give us favor, can he not? You know, the Lord gave us favor here recently. Somebody that doesn't go to this church, has never been to a service, ever, gave $20,000 to our church and gave it for an outreach. It's, it's not in our building fund. I mean, if I had that 20000 in the building fund, we'd have our 100000 But he said, uh, he's a businessman in our city, and he said, I believe in what you're doing. Doesn't go to church here. Not even a member here. He said, I believe in what you're doing, and I want to help you move forward. And he said, this $20,000 is for outreach. Uh, and I said, well, hey, we need a sign on this building. Can I do that? Yes. He said, so he's purchasing a sign for the front of this building so we can designate this building. And then we're getting $3,000 a month. And the nativity and the, the harvest fest, all of that was paid out of that $20,000. I'm so grateful for that divine favor because our, our budget is squeaky right now. I can tell you, we, we couldn't be paying for that stuff if we didn't have somebody give that money to help us with outreach. You know what I call that? divine favor now I'm going to say two, one, more, one or two more things and then I'm concluding I'm going, to, I'm going to let you go home it's very important that during this process that, we, that our relationships stay healthy pettiness has destroyed more churches and little petty gossip and little petty offenses has destroyed more churches 
than all the devils and demons put together. It's very important that we're kind to each other. Can I hear an amen? That we're courteous. That we overlook dumb little stuff that doesn't even matter in the light of eternity. That we are encouragers and that we, we don't become petty with petty little things that just don't even matter. I'm asking us as a congregation to keep your eyes on the big vision. Keep your eyes on the goal. And let's just be loving and kind and, and cheerlead each other on. And let's don't become impatient or harsh. Let's love each other. Amen. Let's just make that commitment. But let's ask God for his wonderful divine favor. Let me lead you. Father, so grateful today for, the, for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful that you sent him and that we celebrate that during this Advent season. Lord, you have brought us to this place. Lord, it has been a difficult journey. Twists and turns that I never would have dreamed of. But Lord, we are here on the precipice, on the edge, on the beginning, on the horizon of stepping out in faith and seeing what you wanted to be done for years and years and years. Father, I ask you for divine favor to be upon our congregation. That Lord, by our city council, our mayor, Lord, all of the different departments that we're going to have to deal with, engineering and planning and building. Oh, Father, give us, give us favor with the, with the inspectors that will come out. And, Lord, they can give you a green tag or they can give you a red tag. And, Lord, we ask you for favor. We ask you for the right inspectors. We ask you that every, every worker that comes out, the concrete workers and the steel workers and, Lord, the painters and, and, and all the workers... All those that will put up steel, the, the roof and the air condition and the sound system and all of the things that will be done. Every worker that steps on the property, Lord, let them be anointed by you. Just like Bezalel was anointed. Let them be anointed by you to help us build a work for you. To build a building where we can preach the gospel. Where we can proclaim Christ. Where we can grow in our faith and go to heaven together. And so, Father, let this... Let your divine favor rest upon us. Give us amazing grace. Multiply your grace to us. And we pray that you rebuke the devourer for our sake. Rebuke the devourer, that devouring spirit. We pray that every demonic assault against us, it is defeated and the enemies we've seen, we shall see no more forever in Jesus' name. And Lord, we long for that day when we will stand on the hill in our new building. And we long for that day of worship and celebration. Oh, what a day it's going to be. And we thank you. So now, Lord, bless your precious people that may be like Joseph in, the, in a trial, in a storm. Give us your mercy. Give us your love and care. And, and bless us all. And now, church, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. And everybody that agrees with that says, Amen. I love you, church. Be friendly as you're dismissed in the Lord.